Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to 1 Peter chapter 1. There's a story told about Coach Ferris that's not true, but it's still a good story. It was said that Coach Ferris was leaning up against the left field line watching a Little League game, and the left fielder was out there, and Boo said, What's the score? And the little boy said, 18 to nothing. Coach Ferris said, Well, don't give up. And he said, I won't. We had not even gotten to bat yet. That was us the other night, and we got beat 20 to 2. So anyway, we have been talking about defiant hope, uh, hope that doesn't give up, hope that fights back, hope that stands up against uh, the enemy, however it might be, hope built on the power and the promises of God. We talked about how Abraham hoped against hope. He hoped that he would have a child, and he did. And even in his old age, we saw where Job says, Though he slay me, yet I will hope in the Lord. And so we have been doing a brief series on defiant hope, hope that will preach to itself not to give up. And we continue that today by looking at 1 Peter chapter 1 and look at verse 3, and we'll read through verse 9, but we'll only deal with it through verse 5. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through by faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though you have for a little while you have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise and honor and glory when Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And you are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the gold of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is God's word to God's people. Let's ask God to bless it. Father, would you work by your spirit through your word and through the preaching of your word, defiant hope in our lives, hope that will not give up because it's based on the promises and the powers of God, even the promise of eternity. And we pray in the name of the risen Savior, even Jesus. Amen. James Stockdale is probably a name that you have in your mind. He was Ross Perot's vice presidential candidate. And he started off that debate saying, Who am I and why am I doing here? And he didn't get to explain why he started like that. But James Stockdale is a true American hero. He was a pilot for the Navy, and he was shot down over Vietnam. He was placed in the Hanoi Hilton for seven years. Four of those years, he was in uh, solitary confinement without seeing anybody but the enemy. They tortured him almost daily. They uh, folded him up and put him under a bucket, uh, a tub of some kind, to give him not only discomfort, but he developed claustrophobia. They chained his hands above his head and did not even allow him to swat mosquitoes. 
they broke his leg and never never said it so he continued the rest of his life to to walk with a limp and looking back on that james stockdale said the only thing that kept me going was hope the hope that the war would be over the hope that i would get out the hope that i would see my family again that's a defiant hope it might not be based on the word of god but it's a hope that won't give up in spite of all the obstacles against it and that's how we define defiant hope it's a it's a faith that looks forward to the promises of god and the power of god even when those promises look impossible because of our circumstances now, peter is a apostle of hope we know that john was an apostle of love and Paul was apostle of faith, and James was a writer of works, but Peter is the apostle of hope. He writes this letter about 60 A.D. or so, and if you know anything about those times, there were terrible trials starting to develop against Christians, mainly Nero, blaming them for the city burning down. But it says in uh, in First Peter chapter four, it talks about the fiery trials you had to go through, and that was not just a figure of speech; that some people were actually burned to death as lanterns at the king's parties. And what uh, Peter does, he writes this letter to God's people, offering them true hope. And so, let me tell you what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about living hope is a result of the Holy Spirit's birth in your life living hope is anchored in the resurrection of christ and living hope is assured of its inheritance in christ living hope though is a work of the holy spirit causing you to be born again if you were to take this whole section i read i think it's one sentence and try to diagram it it would be a nightmare but when you look at it, you see there's several things that are obvious. It's obvious that the hope that, that Peter is talking about is a result of being born again by the Spirit of God. You are, you are born again to a living hope. Hope is not just positive thinking. It's not just Norman Vincent Peale, you know, if you think positive enough, it will happen. It's not just being optimistic. It's not being like the man who was a positive thinker that ended up in hell and all he could say was, it's not hot and I'm not here. It's not hot and I'm not here. His positive uh, expression had nothing to do with reality. But hope is born by the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. It's not uh, something we work up. That word, born again, uh, is used by Peter for the first time. Although it appears later in the New Testament, Peter was probably written before John. And John 3 talks about Nicodemus. And Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night and asks him, How can I enter the kingdom of God? And Jesus says, You must be born again. And Nicodemus, although a teacher of uh, the Jews, said, How can a man be born again? Can he enter into his mother's womb a second time? And Jesus said, that which is flesh is flesh, but that which is of the Spirit is of the Spirit. And unless you're born of the Spirit, you'll never see the kingdom of God. 
And then Jesus goes on to explain this new birth as it's like the wind. You don't know where it comes from or where it's going. It's mysterious. But one thing you do see about the wind, you see where it's been. You see the evidence of strong wind and its effect. I've had to drive to Jackson several times since the bad weather in Silver City. It's really amazing. You can just look out over the field if you stop, and you can see exactly where the tornado went. I mean, just the straight path that it took. You couldn't see the wind, but when people went through that storm, they could see things flying and objects going everywhere. And that's what Jesus is talking about. That, And when you're born again, you see the evidence of that being born again. You, you might not remember the day you've been born again. You know, a lot of people say, you know, you've got to remember the day, the event. Well, that's not really so. Do you remember the day you were born? Do you remember going out of the birth canal and being wrapped in uh, uh, cloth and being whopped on the bottom to make yourself cry? And yet none of us deny that you're here today. You're breathing, you know, and you're moving and you're alive and you're well. You're, you're born. And when you're born again, you might not know the date, but you are able to see the evidences of God's work in your life. I tell the communicants class, and I hadn't told them this yet, so this is a heads up, that if you were to have a wreck on the highway going home, and the ambulance gets there, and the paramedics get out, and they want to know if you're alive, they don't say, hey, where's his birth certificate? Is this guy going to make it? When was he born? You know, they wouldn't do that. They would look for vital signs of life. What's his blood pressure? What's his, his respiration rate? Is he losing a lot of blood? They would look for the vital signs of life. And that's what we do when we're born again to this living hope. Do we have the vital signs of life? Do we, quote, hate our sin? Do we fight against our sin? Do we truly love the Lord? Do we love His people? Do we love His church? Do we, do we, you know, those are vital signs. A pastor said a young man came to him and said, you know, that I don't know what happened, but, you know, I used to think of these hymns were just old, uh, old-fashioned, out-of-date hymns and didn't like them. And to be honest, I didn't get anything out of your sermons, and I regularly, you know, didn't want to come and stuff. But he says, now the hymns mean so much, and I get so much out of your sermons, and I can't wait for every Sunday worship to come. And he said, the guy said, what's happened? <laughs> the pastor said, i tell you what's happened. You've been born again. Things have changed. The Spirit has blown into your life. See, Everett Koop was a Surgeon General, I believe, under Reagan. Don't hold me to that. But he thought as a high dignitary he needed to go to church, and he sat up in the balcony, and he listened to James Montgomery Boyce preach. And the first time he heard him preach, he says, I can't believe people believe that. I can't believe people be that can believe that stuff. And he said, I continued to go until I was like, I believe it. And he was gradually converted by the preaching of the power of God. 
But when you diagram this sentence, it pushes it back to not just the living hope is based on the on the being born again by the Spirit, but that birth is related to the mercy of God. Why are you somebody who has hope, the hope of eternal life? It's because of the mercy of God. That you don't deserve it, you didn't merit it, you can't do something to earn it, you can't buy it, you can't... There's no way that if you have that living hope in the resurrection of Christ to eternal life, that is a work of the mercy of God. In Romans 9, 10, and 11, they argue about Jacob and Esau. And they are talking about Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. Before any of them was ever born, good or evil, you know, I set my mercy on one. And, and the, the writer, Paul, begins to say what people would think. You know, that doesn't sound fair. And God answers him. Who are you to talk back to God, O oh man? I will have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. And so that's the reason that middle hymn means so much to so many of us. Lord, why was I a guest? Why was I made to hear your voice and enter while there's room? When thousands make a wretched choice and rather come, rather starve than come. T'was the same love that spread the feast that sweetly drew me in. You see, it's the mercy of God. And that's the reason our passage starts with the word in verse 3, Praise be to God that one of the signs that you have been born again by the mercy of God to a living hope, to an inheritance that never fades, is that you are ever praising God for His mercy in your life. That you are a walking doxology. I know there are days that we don't feel like that, but the pattern of our life ought to be speaking well of God. I got a call the other day from a pulpit committee, and they weren't looking at me. Uh, said I was too old. Uh, they asked about a friend of mine, and I wasn't Ben. And what I said to them was this. I cannot find one thing bad to say about this pastor. I have nothing but good words about him. That's what we do when we bless God. There's nothing bad that we can say about God. We bless Him and praise Him forever. The second thing, not only are we born again to this living hope, we have this anchor in the resurrection of Christ. Our hope is anchored in the resurrection of Christ. We look at this sentence again and it says, We have been in His great mercy. God has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And grammatically, I don't understand why, why it says through. But, but the word means is that, that we're born again, and part of the evidence of being born again or the dynamics of being born again is that the Holy Spirit is part of the ammunition. I mean, this, this, res, this, uh, this resurrection of the dead is part of the ammunition the Holy Spirit uses to create hope in our life. That because Jesus is alive, our hope is alive. Because nothing can ever uh, discourage or defeat Jesus. Nothing will discourage or defeat us when we start thinking about our, our eternal home. And so our hope is, is born of the Spirit, but it's based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
We talked about that on Easter Sunday, remember? We said if Christ has not been raised from the dead, our faith is useless. And we are to be pitied more than anybody else. But Christ has been raised from the dead. And so we're people to be uh, envied, really. Think about Peter. Peter was one who said, I'll never deny you, Lord. These guys might, you know. But they're not like me, you know. I'll never deny you. And Peter denied him three times. And the last time that Peter denied him, it says, I think in the Gospel of Luke, that Jesus and Peter's eyes met eye to eye. And then Peter went off and he wept bitterly. But he comes back to join the disciples. And where are the disciples? They're in a locked room. They're afraid of the authorities. And, and they are, are not looking for the resurrection. That's not on their mind. They're, they're contemplating what to do. And you could say they were a hopeless bunch. And then Mary and the other women came to them and said, We've seen him. He's raised from the dead. And John and Peter run to the tomb. And Peter gets there first, and he doesn't hesitate, and he goes right in and sees the empty tomb, and he sees the grave clothes lying there, folded up neatly, and his hope is born. And he's not the same person from then after. He's been born again by through the resurrection of the dead. We see it in Luke chapter 24. On the way to the road to Emmaus, remember the two men were walking. They were talking about the things that had happened about the the resurrection. I mean, about the crucifixion and Jesus. They don't recognize him, and, and Jesus says, "No, what's happened?" And they say, "Are you the only person in the world that doesn't know what happened?" And that we, this Jesus, who we, we hope the word says we hope that he was a Messiah, has been crucified. In other words, our, our hope has been dashed. And Jesus began to tell them how the Old Testament pointed to the coming of the Messiah. And when they got to their destination, they begged Jesus to stay, and Jesus stayed. And when they were eating supper that night, and He broke the bread, God opened their eyes to see that this was Jesus, and then He was gone. And then they were gone to tell other people, we have seen the risen Christ. They had hope. If you have your Bible, it'd be good to turn to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 18. Where it uses the word for anchor. It says this, 6.18 of Hebrews. You go left to find Hebrews. You know, one time when I was, maybe it was my first session meeting... Wilson asked me to, to open up by reading Daniel chapter something. And I couldn't find it. I hate to tell you. And uh, finally, after flipping back and forth, you know, I said, I think somebody stole Daniel out of my Bible, Wilson. And, uh, you know, the more nervous you get. So anyway, it's to the, to the left of, of Peter. It says this in 6.18, God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, 
firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus who went before us has entered on behalf, on our behalf. It talks about this anchor of the soul. And this anchor of the soul is in heaven. And is in the in behind the curtain, which means behind the Holy of Holies. And that anchor is Jesus. And what Peter is saying is this is what happens. Our, our hope is anchored in Jesus. It's not anchored in what has happened in the past. It's not anchored to what's going on in the present. Our hope is anchored in heaven. Now, what do you use an anchor for? You know, if you find a good fishing spot, you know, or swimming spot, you lower the anchor and it keeps you from drifting away. Our biggest, I wouldn't say persecution, but our biggest problem is probably not going to be persecution. Our problem is going to be we're just going to drift away. People are just going to drift away. It's going to become less important. But if we're truly born again and we have this living hope, we're anchored in heaven and we will not drift away from the things of God. When I was a little bitty baby, song starts like that, doesn't it? But anyway, when I was a little bitty baby, my dad had a serious wreck and probably didn't think he was going to live. And my older brother was in there and he had serious injuries as well. And so uh, I was just a baby. You know, I don't have no recollection of this, but my uncle and aunt took me in for a while until my dad and brother recovered. And, uh, what they said was they wanted a baby just like Timmy. Isn't that really neat, you know? Who wouldn't want somebody just... Anyway. But uh, they, uh, Uncle Harold stayed uh, important to me and stayed in my life, and he stayed in my dad's life and was probably part of the reason Dad got back involved in church and thing. And so when Harold died, I, I had the privilege of doing his funeral. And I had not heard this song before because I'm not a big gospel hymn uh, listener. But it's by uh, Ray Boltz, I believe. And uh, Uncle Harold's daughter sang it. And the chorus goes like this. The anchor holds, though the ship is battered. The anchor holds, though the sails are torn. I have fallen on my knees as I face the raging seas. The anchor holds in spite of the storm. And I think that's what Peter is saying. Our anchor is in heaven and it will hold whatever happens. And because of that, we can be defiant in our hope. And then there's another thing. Not only is our hope a result of the Holy Spirit, not only is our hope anchored in the resurrection, our hope is affirmed that we have an inheritance. We have a sure inheritance. Did you see that? It said we have been given a new birth into the living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you who through the faith are shielded by God's power into the coming of the salvation that is to be revealed. You have an inheritance. We are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. We 
know what an inheritance is. It's a, something that we get because somebody else died. And what do we get because Jesus died? What's the will say? You know, the New Testament, the new will. What's it say? In Jesus we have forgiveness of sins. In Jesus we have resurrection life. We have eternal life. We have peace with God. We have strength for tomorrow. We have uh, the, the grace will be sufficient for us. God has promised us all these things in the, in the will that we read. But He's talking about more than that. He's talking about an inheritance in heaven that will never fade or perish or be defiled. And you know, we probably don't really realize what we have. This story is really true, as we started off with some that weren't. Uh, a columnist by the name of L.M. Boyd recently described the amazing fortune of a man named Jack Worm. He was broke and without a job, and one day walking along San Francisco Beach, he found a bottle that had a piece of paper in it. And he discovered that it was the person who... Uh, invented or was the, I guess, inventor of Singer's sewing machine, Daisy Singer Alexander. To avoid confusion with her will, she had written, to avoid confusion, I leave my entire estate to the lucky person who finds this bottle and to my attorney, Barry Cohen, share and share alike. According to Boyd, the courts accepted the theory that the heiress had written the note 12 years earlier, had thrown the bottle into the Thames River, where it had drifted across the ocean to the feet of a homeless, penniless, jobless Jack Worm. And his discovery netted him $6 million in Singer stock and cash. But that can't compare to your inheritance. Peter uses these words in his inheritance, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. They're three negative words, which means that there are not any words we have to describe our inheritance. The Apostle Paul will say in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9, he says, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the mind of man what God has prepared for his people. And so what Paul does, he uses these negatives because that's the best way to describe the undescribable. That's how we describe God. He's invisible. He's not visible. He's unchangeable. He's not able to change. He's infinite. He's not finite. And so Paul says our Inheritance is imperishable. It's never going to rot. It's never going to spoil. It's undefiled. It cannot be contaminated. It's unfading. It will never lose its glimmer. And those words are used, those similar words are used by Jesus. That he says, lay not up for yourself treasures in, in, on earth where moth can 
eat and rust can destroy and thieves can break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth nor rust destroy, nor can thieves break in and steal. Jesus says, your treasure is elsewhere. Your treasure is elsewhere. And the amazing thing is it's kept for you. It's kept for you. It's safe. And then he goes on to say, not only is it kept for you, that you're kept for it. You are protected through faith. You know, faith, lingering, persevering, defiant, hope type faith. The word protected is like a military protection. And you and me and those who have faith, God is going to protect us and make sure we get home okay. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy or without problems, but He's going to keep our faith intact so we won't give up. You know, did you watch any of the king's coronation? I saw some people set their their clocks to get up at 4 o'clock. I'm going, you know, it's going to be on all day. And then you can watch a rerun, you know. But it was... It was and did you know we had a war against them and got our independence? But anyway, uh, but the ones I wanted to think about is standing out on the balcony. You see all the people standing out there. And you saw the grandchildren of the king waving. You think they have any idea of the lifestyle that they are inheriting? I read a, a person who used to work in the for the king and talked about how spoiled he was that uh, this was before he became king they ironed his pajamas every day probably didn't even own any gym shorts but anyway somebody put one inch of toothpaste on his toothbrush every day they laid his clothes out and everybody honored him everywhere he went and those grandkids will inherit that lifestyle and they have no idea you me have no idea what's waiting for us but it's glorious but the question is do you have a living hope for that have you been born again don't give me a date but do you have evidence that the holy spirit has rearranged your life in a positive way. If you do, you, you hang on to that hope. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the Gospel. Thank You for the simple fact that if we call upon the name of the Lord, we will be saved, meaning that we turn from our sins and trust in You that You will save us. Thank You that You have blown in our life, blow in it more that we might give evidence of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and lives as we walk in godly ways. And if you have not blown in and through the hearts of people today, would you do so? Would they cry out today, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner? And would they know that rebirth? And I pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen.